0: You are listening to CEO Perspectives, a podcast by the Conference Board.
1: Welcome to this episode of CEO Perspectives, a signature series by the Conference Board. CEO Perspectives are conversations that take an objective, nonpartisan look at a range of timely topics that matter most to business leaders. To help make sense of these topics and how they'll unfold, We'll sit down with thought leaders and do what we do best at the Conference Board, provide trusted insights for what's ahead. I'm Steve Odlin from the Conference Board and the host of this podcast series, and in today's conversation, we're going to discuss employee burnout. Reports of burnout among employees are more and more common, but what is burnout, and how can leaders prevent burnout in the workplace? Joining me today is Rebecca Ray, the Executive Vice President of Human Capital at the Conference Board. Rebecca, welcome. Thanks, Steve. It's always a pleasure. So Rebecca, we're hearing about this notion of burnout more and more among employees. You know, now we're, you know, through the pandemic, it clicked up, da-da-da-da-da. But I think a lot of people are using the term pretty casually, and it's actually a clinical term, right? So maybe you can start by helping us understand what is burnout. Sure. So, you know, Steve, uh, I, I think...
2: I'd like to make a distinction between burnout in a clinical sense and burnout as as it is commonly thought of as an occupational uh, condition. And you know, you you mentioned about the the pandemic and its impact, but even before then, back in 2019, which does seem like ancient history, but was just before the pandemic, the World Health Organization declared burnout to be an occupational phenomenon in its you know it does its annual revision of the International Classification of Diseases, and they defined. Uh, burnout this way, a syndrome conceptualized as resulting from chronic workplace stress that's not been successfully managed. And then then they looked at three dimensions of it. So feelings of energy depletion or exhaustion, increased mental distance from one's job or feelings of negativism or cynicism related to the job and a reduced professional efficacy, which is perhaps the most um, germane to our conversation today and so we're we're talking about specifically to this phenomenon in an occupational context and you know not to be perhaps more broadly applied to other aspects of one's life
1: yeah and you know the NIH has has written about this most recently and 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 they they have pointed out that there is not agreement um, even among professionals as to you know what it is and how do you define it and so forth but I think essentially, you know, it's some combination, as you said, some combination of sort of severe exhaustion. And, you know, it's usually accompanied by some depression, now, whether that's clinical or, you know, or casual, right. But it's, it's people are just, they're just wrung out, essentially. And, and so, you know, we're going to get into a, a number of the dimensions here. But, you know, how could, so as a business leader, you know, you don't have a PhD in psychology, how do you identify this uh, in the workplace?
2: Well, I I, th- I think a couple of things, and I think it stems from understanding that there is indeed a challenge, right? So, you know, some of the research, ours and others, talk about the fact that managers report more stress and signs of burnout, let's just say broadly defined, uh, a worsening work-life balance and a worse... Physical well-being than individual contributors on the teams that they lead, and you know I think I think it was Gallup uh, found that 35% of managers report feeling burned out, and that was uh, significantly more than 27% of their individual contributors. So managers are really feeling uh, this and and bearing the brunt of it. That's that's not news in terms of managers have always had a tough job, particularly mid, middle managers, and they're kind of stuck in the middle. And so when, when we look at this in a business com, uh, context, they're really suffering from burnout before the pandemic, and it's just continuing to worsen. And so whatever you call it, there's a level of stress that results in a variety of business impacts, uh, including lost productivity. We've talked about this in the past, increased turnover and an increase in workplace safety incidences. And You know, our research and that of others talks about the fact that among those employees who say they feel burnt out, broadly defined, always or very often are more likely to take sick days. They're more likely to um, not reach out to their managers to talk about how they might solve problems. They're more likely to visit the emergency room. They're almost three times as likely to be searching for another job. And sometimes that's with the hope that the next job will be less stressful. And that's sometimes a, a fool's errand. And they're also, and this is what I think is so important, Steve, is that they, maybe one in five, feels less confident in their performance. So the greater the stress, the less confident they feel about their ability to perform, and the more that becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy. And that, I think, is one of the big challenges here. And, you know, people are simply exhausted, to your point. You know, the world's changed significantly. It continues to change in unpredictable ways you know, it's like they're being asked to run a marathon every day. And, you know, even professional athletes don't do that. They train, they perform, and they take time to recover. And for many in the workplace, you know, their job is a perpetual marathon. And I'm uh, remembering the work that Jim and Jack Gruppel did um, on the corporate athlete a couple decades ago. And that was a great way that um, I used to bring them and to speak to speak um, to my managers uh, and leaders at organizations for whom I had the privilege of working, and it was really an eye opener for a lot of people who began to understand that need for recovery, that need for self care, long before it was trendy or or you know brought to bear into the front lines by a pandemic.
1: You you were you mentioned sort of pre and post pandemic. Um, help us a little bit more because. I don't remember a lot of conversation about some, but not a lot uh, pre-pandemic. So there's something that happened here during the pandemic and now post-pandemic that has really brought this to the fore. Can you help us kind of understand why there's been an uptick here? So
2: I I think there's been an uptick. I also think that there's a, a difference in society about being able to or feeling that you could talk about it. Um, but the things that are driving it uh, are both personal and and professional and uh, and societal, and so you know any one of a number of these things could be playing on an individual. So it's it's you know it's with inflation, it's the erosion of their earning power. It's rising crime, especially for some segments of our population who are disproportionately impacted. Concerns about personal safety, job insecurity, demanding workloads, the changes in technology, a highly politicized country changes in the law that were considered you know, settled that people will experience very personal impacts and, and a geopolitical landscape that grows increasingly darker. And it's the acceleration of the pace of all those changes. Now, you combine that with growing distrust of government and, and other institutions with each successive wave of Twitter revelations or investigative journalism findings and the sense that they're powerless to change a lot of this. So I wonder, Steve, if some of this isn't in part a loss of a
1: sense of hope. Yeah, but what you've described is a broader set of factors, I think, than just simply the workplace. And I think this is oh, no question. Yeah, and I think this is really the important point because, you know, regardless of what the factors are, in the workplace, you know, leaders have to deal with it, right? So, That's right. you know, I think in the past leaders kind of felt like, okay, I got, I have to deal with whatever happens in the workplace during the workday, um, but now it's different so you're in a hybrid world in some cases or virtual world for you know in, in other cases and you and for those people it's interesting because you would think that there's you know you don't have to travel as much you know you don't have to get dressed up you don't have you know all of the stresses with family you know what it da da da, da, da but because you're able to work from home and balance a little bit more but in fact that has created this this massive blurring of home and home life and work life. And I wonder if that isn't causing a great deal of this stress because they can never get away from either home or work life. It's all just sort of continuous. Your thoughts? You know, there's probably
2: something to that. I think there's, you know, we have growing demands for transparency in just about everything, you know, and certainly with the advent of social media, people feel as though there is a lot more blurring. I wonder though if that doesn't make the case for an imperative for businesses to make the workplace that one oasis that an employee might have you know where they can come in do their best work be aligned to mission and purpose you know be part of something great and and I wonder if that's not at the end of the day the business leaders imperative
1: yeah well it is interesting because you say well you know why is it a business leaders role. I mean, you can't, you really can't get into their, you know, an employee's personal life, you know, you can't get into their, you know, HIPAA requires, you can't get into anything related to medical issues, yada, yada. So it's, you know, it seems like it's a very narrow path that you can trot, but it is, you know, an employee's life and and the manager's life, uh, as you said, is, is all intertwined. And so it is required that leaders Deal with the net effect of it, even if they can't exactly, dig yeah, dig down. I think that's what you're saying.
2: Yeah, I mean, look, I'm. You could have a philosophical argument about, you know, what's the corporation's role in in addressing or uh, supporting or in filling in the gaps where we have, you know, institutional failures, right? Healthcare being one of them, or you pick, pick anything, right? And the question I think is not. You know, is that the responsibility? I don't think it is. But the question is, what can you do to mitigate it? What can you do to have an impact? And that's where the challenge comes, is that you can't expect an organization to be a proxy for all the things that, that are wrong in the world and, and fix them. It's just simply not, it's not possible you'd go out of business. But it's also, I would say, you know, something that necessarily you don't say that you're going to try to fix. But what you can do is control inequities in the workplace, for example or opportunities for people to grow and you know on a fair and consistent basis. I mean those things are within the corporation's purview.
1: Well you've written pretty widely about this whole phenomenon on hybrid or, and remote work. They're two different things but you know they're they're you know they're they're similar. Uh, and you know the, of course that doesn't apply to every work situation. You can't construct a building remotely. You can't you know create you know deliver a service remotely. You can't get your haircut remotely yet.
2: Well, you 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 could, but then you're doing your own hair or your own dental work, and that's <laughs> it's not going to go well.
1: Yeah, talk about adding stress. Um, yeah. You know, so we're, you know you have to acknowledge that we're you know you're talking about a slice here, but you know your point, the point that you just made is really interesting, which is that this oasis, this notion of an oasis, that in fact the workplace becomes something different than it was thought of before. Mm-hmm. Sounds to me like that's a huge opportunity to try to bring people back in and create something that is actually lower stress than, you know, when they're trying to deal with everything in their life all at once.
2: Yeah, so so I use this analogy once in a while that I think we need to think about the workplace the way we used to think about an offsite. You know how an offsite was like this kind of special thing? You looked forward to it. We planned it. We knew who was coming. We knew who was going to be speaking. We knew who we were going to cover. We knew how it fit into the grand scheme of things. We knew what the outcomes were. We planned that it. it was usually there was food, you know, maybe some dancing, but you know what? What you had was something that people felt drawn toward, and because they're the, the, well, the genie's out of the box. Let's be candid. If if the COVID nineteen pandemic had lasted three weeks, we'd have all gone back into the office and we'd have said, "Okay, we're done now, and it's back to normal." But the longer this thing dragged out, the more people began to realize that other options are perhaps possible. And I think people did. And we saw it in the great resignation or the great reevaluation, or the great reset or the great reimagining or use any other R word you want. A lot of people's psyche changed as well as most business cultures, as well as I would argue the United States did.
1: So what I got from that is we just have to add dancing to the workplace.
2: I think dancing is key with or without you know a special moment for the tarantella i think i think dancing is key
1: all right we've talked about what burnout is and and why reports of it are increasing next we're going to explore who's most vulnerable to burnout and what leaders can do to address all of it we're going to take a short break be right back
0: as you and your company monitor the volatile and uncertain economy the award-winning forecast team at the conference board predicts a downturn by the end of 2022 Recession will further compound the crises that have recently upended expectations, from a deadly pandemic to a war in Ukraine and the highest inflation in decades. Yet, unprecedented crises also present unforeseen opportunities, if you have a trusted, proven navigator by your side. With that in mind, and as the Conference Board has always done, we are providing you with daily, timely, and relevant content that will guide the business community through the economic storm. These trusted insights are being gathered on our website and are available to help your company master the challenges. To find out how you can chart a course for the future which will allow your business to emerge stronger on the other side, visit our free economic hub entitled Navigating the Economic Storm, Your Indispensable Guide Through the Global Recession, located at conference-board.org topics recession.
1: Welcome back to CEO Perspectives. I'm your host, Steve Odlin, from the Conference Board, and I'm joined today by Dr. Rebecca Ray, the head of the Human Capital Center at the Conference Board. All right, before the break, we were talking about dancing in the workplace, um, only partially tongue-in-cheek. I think your point is really important, though, which is that we have to rethink what goes on in the workplace, because it can be a oasis. So we can't just, just try to switch this... You know, toggle switch back to pre-pandemic because that that those days are gone.
2: I, I think that's right, and you know, I'm I'm only partially kidding about the dancing part. I, I do think there's something about celebration. There's a lot of reasons why you'd want to bring people back to the office. Many great reasons, and especially I think for people who are earlier in career, you know, they don't know yet what they don't know about working for a living and you know, being in a in a corporate setting or plant assembly line or whatever the case may be. And, and granted, there's a lot of reasons why you would want to provide those opportunities for earlier in career people. Um, you know, we, we do a lot, as you know, uh, of these um, surveys and we go out to hundreds of thousands of workers and ask questions at different times. And in fact, um, uh, this past October, uh, we asked questions about the outcome of burnout. And we had about, I don't know, maybe 1600 or so who responded and we, we took a look at the respondents and whether that or not they were working fully remote, uh, fully on site or in some kind of hybrid, you know, in between uh, kind of situation. And roughly a third had lower self-reported levels of engagement, decreased levels of mental health and a decreased sense of belonging. And we saw that across the board, it didn't matter which category you were in. In fact, the ones who worked a hybrid schedule had one percentage point difference higher. It's not, sti- not statistically um, important here, but you know that's what you had was a third. Now, even though lower engagement, lower mental health levels, decreased sense of belonging, 81% of those same people said that their level of effort compared to six months ago or the previous six months had remained the same 50% or increased 31%. So this tells us that they're working hard, or harder against an increasingly difficult environment both in the workplace and in their personal lives. So it's not a wonder that burnout continues or the feelings of exhaustion or the feelings of being disconnected from work or the feelings of your own personal efficacy are on the decline.
1: Yeah, but it's you know it they feel like they're they're working as much and this is um, an area ripe for more research because the question is is in fact whether that's happening. But go back to this. So what what you so you're sort of saying that there's there there are now three types of work environments in in the workplace, you know, however defined, hybrid, which means some combination of in and out, and then remote only, where you know they don't they they rarely or never come to the workplace. And you're saying that the statistics show that the level of stress and burnout is roughly the same regardless of where they are. That's right. So what does that tell us? Does that so it, it does it tell us that it's the so you know you you could surmise that it's not it's not workplace it's not remote it's not hybrid but it's just the state of the world which is kind of where you started the conversation there's just all sorts of stuff going on you know in in the broad world and you listed a bunch of things I mean you know who knows it's different for everybody right but That's right. It, it's this combination of stuff and, and it's hitting everybody
2: yeah I, I, and and look as as managers and leaders. You know, to your point earlier, if people choose to share about their personal life, terrific. If it has an impact on their work, you know, then you probably have a a careful conversation around it. But for the most part, most leaders will never know what employees go through to deliver. You know, you've got people who um, run the front lines and maybe healthcare workers, and that's extraordinarily stressful. Or first responders. Or we have people who lost loved ones during the pandemic. It's a very different experience from some people who. Were able to re- work remotely as as I was during the pandemic. Um, and and you never know what combination of stress factors people are dealing with. And for many people, it's not okay or they don't feel comfortable speaking about it.
1: So if you're a business leader then or a leader of you know in, in any in, in any avenue, you can't just assume that the people in the office are okay and and, and you got to do something different remote or vice versa. You have to you have to look at all of it. You have to look at a different a different world for people, regardless of work situation. And you've got to be thinking about how do you motivate, how do you integrate? how do you how do you get engagement from all of these groups, not just not just one?
2: I, I think that's right. And look, you know uh, when we, we, let, let's say we we go back to an earlier time, which of course, we know is gone. But let's just say we were thinking about how do I help this individual be very productive, feel good about what they contribute, and learn and grow and go on to greater, better things. We would take a look at an individual and we would think about what drives him or her in their career goals or the kinds of things they find interesting to do. And we would try to tailor the way we support that person, given what we know to be true about them or what experiences taught us. I don't think it's different except that it's more difficult right so if if I uh, if I look at this I look at it in two ways it's what what can the organization do and then what can leaders and managers do okay right? so I, really this is not going to be a surprise you and I've talked about this in the past but managers have the greatest direct impact on how employees feel about the company the work they do the impact they make so you know supporting managers has got to be a massive priority for an organization. And so, you know, that's the first that's the first thing I would do is say to organizations, go support managers. We ask a lot of them. Many of these are at least at the mid-manager level, still, at least in some part, individual contributors. You know, we had this wild idea about flattening the organization a few years ago. You know, that was trendy. OK, we did that, which meant that a managers didn't have enough career levels and all of a sudden they were sort of moving from from individual contributor to fairly substantial manager, which meant that they were also, at least in part, an individual contributor of their own portfolio of things. So their workload is exceptionally large. So you need to think about what can you you reduce, what can you delay or abandon that's not mission critical? You could reduce the level of administrative trivia that's required of them so that they have time to care for themselves and their teams. And you could consider cash and non-cash rewards for exceptional effort. And you could tell these managers that you love them in whatever way is culturally appropriate. Because these managers are on the front lines and they are expected to do a great deal. You know, they're expected to be uh, empathetic, to be the first, you know, canary in the coal mine when someone has, you know, uh, mental health or personal challenges. And we just sort of said, go do this. And during the pandemic, they had to be all things to all people. I don't know that many companies did a, a fabulous job of training managers to look for mental health cracks or the kinds of things that would be uh, warning signs by employees and then what to do with it. Help them know, here's how I refer someone. Here's how I bring this up, you know, with HR. Here's how I support this person through a difficult time. We also expected a different level of empathy, sympathy, listening, developmental coaching. We, we just did a, a study, as you know, with uh, Udemy, the Ross School of Business at the University of Michigan and the ROI Institute to show that you could take a virtual approach to supporting leaders to be effective in this hybrid world of work, no matter what it looks like, um, that they manage it at a given time, and they can do it at scale, and you can do it quickly. So I think organizations need to really think about supporting managers.
1: Yeah. So your so your hypothesis is that 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 should be the the number one priority of these middle middle managers, and that by supporting them. You use that term, but your examples are really where the rubber meets the road. It's it's training them. It's it's walking through these various scenarios that they might be uh, encountering and do a little role playing, but but help them understand how to deal with them. Um, Because if I think your point is, if they're equipped with that, if they're equipped with the with the you know with the training and and the you know the tools they need to 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 you know to interact with their with their direct reports, and that that in and of itself reduces some level of stress, right?
2: I think so. You know, what's worse than um, realizing that one of your employees has an issue, and you don't have a clue as to how to help? Right? Yeah,
1: or worse, or worse, you, you you handle it the wrong way. That's right. Uh, and and then you know, then then the whole thing created. But you know, there's so much variability to this, Rebecca. You know, every manager is different, every employee is different, every situation is different. How do you deal with the variability?
2: So I think organizations, and, and this is the other flip side of that. So, yes, it's supporting managers, but it's also about articulating what's acceptable in our culture and what kinds of things we look for and will will not tolerate, and what will we support? So I think organizations. Perhaps have missed an opportunity to re-recruit their employees. They need to articulate the mission and the purpose and, you know, align to the work now. And maybe there's a new path forward. Maybe there are additional things they need to talk about with their culture, but make sure that people understand this is who we are now. And when you look at the turnover that we've had in so many different organizations in the US, around the world, you know, you, you have an awful lot of people who need to feel a part of that. And perhaps don't. They're either new or a variety of reasons. And so, you know, companies cannot assume that everybody gets it. And they have to make well-being part of the culture, you know, to help people actually take their personal time. And that's tough. You know, the the workloads are increasing. The, you know, the challenges are there. No question. Many of us believe we are either in or headed into a recession. And so, you know, looking to shore up the business or be positioned for that. So perfectly understandable. But people still have to take time that you know that they're due for personal time, and they have to be able to to talk about how they're feeling, you know, to speak up without fear of retaliation. You know, the, they're going to get a smaller raise, or they fear that they'd be the first to go in a layoff, or they'd be reduced access to development opportunities. Because a lot of employees simply don't trust that it's safe um, to speak up. And then finally, organizationally, this is what organizations need to do. And I'm going to come to HR in a moment, but organizations need to have a culture where managers are held accountable for turnover and the quality of the cultures that they foster, whether that's a culture of respect and inclusion and all the things that we talk about so much at the conference board.
1: Yeah, accountable for retention, you know, if you put it, you know, you put it in a positive light um, rather than turnover. And, and, you know, that's tough in this world when, you know, there's, there are generational differences and you know people think that they need to to leave and go to different organizations to collect you know more rounding in their career so you're you're kind of fighting different currents here
2: well no no question and look there's there's always going to be some movement and part of that is driven by where you are in your life stage right and so uh, that that's a part of it but long before you start to listen to how green the grass is somewhere else if you're already very connected to and committed to your organization, you tend not to listen with quite the same ear. I think organizations need to do a great job, assuming that they have a great story to tell about the total rewards package uh, for for employees and helping them understand what truly are the the range of benefits. They need to make, you know, we talked earlier today about making the workplace an, an oasis, making this a great place to work. And that's what organizations have some direct control over. You know, they can address inequities in development or access to opportunities, for example. That's, that's about making a concerted effort to see who gets developed, who gets opportunities to participate, and making sure that managers, once they understand perhaps their own, you know, we're all human. And sometimes, you know, it's the recency effect or the, effect or the proximity effect. And so, you know, if you make managers aware that maybe this is not quite as fair and equitable as you thought, and here's how we fix it that's an organizational responsibility to hold managers accountable for that.
1: Okay. So just kind of wrap up what I think I've heard from you today is that, you know, this term burnout, there is a clinical definition. Not everybody agrees, but essentially in the workplace, it's referred to as sort of a combination of, of just work, you know, life exhaustion and, you know, some level of depression that it it falls more disproportionately on managers and especially mid-level managers to deal with this, that it, that is pretty consistent across whatever work state you have in office, hybrid, or remote, and so therefore it's a it's a new world that we need to face for all employees, and that we need to re reth- to really rethink how we engage with the employees, how we train our people um, to to deal with it, and you know, and the programs we provide. I, you, you said a lot more than that, but but essentially, am, am I getting what you're what you're recommending here?
2: Now, that was a great recap, Steve. I mean, at at the end of the day, it is about taking advantage of everything that an organization can control and making this an oasis, a great place to work. And, you know, that means supporting managers. That also means taking a look at any HR processes and practices that could help. So, for example... Uh, giving people uh, opportunities to develop uh, that's manageable with the workload, taking a look at how we reward and celebrate individual and team accomplishments, taking a look at organizational support for well-being, for flex time, to make sure, you know, people take the, the personal time that they have. Um, and, and I think offering a variety of things that could help. So, for example, classes or apps or access to meditation or relaxation. Do you know one of the most commonly requested perks these days is access to uh, apps and to have that paid for by organizations. So it's, you know, take a look at a range of things that that organizations can do, but I, I think supporting the manager uh, population is key because at, at the end of the day, this never changes. You have to attract, retain and develop great employees Great workplaces and great managers are key. And that is so easy to say and so very hard to do.
1: Dr. Rebecca Ray, thanks for joining us today. Thanks, Steve. I always enjoy these. And thanks to all of you for listening into CEO Perspectives. Every week, I'll be joined by a prominent thought leader to provide insights on the issues of our time. We'll cover the leading topics in human capital, geopolitics, economics, public policy, and more. Please share CEO Perspectives with your colleagues. I know everybody's going to want to listen. I'm Steve Odlin, and this podcast has been brought to you by the Conference Board.
0: You've been listening to a podcast from the Conference Board, the indispensable ally that has helped businesses through war, recession, and economic transformation for over 100 years. As recent unexpected economic challenges persist, you can chart a course for the future which will allow your business to emerge stronger on the other side. Just visit our free economic hub entitled Navigating the Economic Storm, Your Indispensable Guide Through the Global Recession, located at www.conference-board.org slash topics slash recession.